we now come to that point in our service where we turn our attention to the reading of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word. And today we have a very, very special opportunity to encourage and be encouraged by one of our brothers who will be preaching for the first time today. Uh, yeah, this is huge. This is a big, this is an exciting opportunity. And um, for those of you who are new to Grace, we have something uh, called an internship program. Um, I myself was part of it at one point and many others before me. And uh, some of these pastors now uh, are, are, are pastors at church plants within our denomination all throughout the city. And we, we, this is a really great opportunity for us as our congregation to encourage uh, young people in our church who want to pursue ministry with the Lord. Uh, I know where I'm where I am today because of uh, folks like you who have supported me. And today we have the opportunity to support Rex Law. Uh, if you don't know who Rex Law is, Rex is one of our newest interns, our newest pastoral interns at Grace Toronto. He's currently studying at Reformed Theological Seminary and working at our church in, in various areas. Uh, Rex has proven himself to be a wonderful addition to our staff team and a faithful worker in the Lord. Uh, to give you examples, in the short time he's been with us, God has used this man to help reinvigorate our, our, our prayer ministry. Uh, there, there, there was a period of time during the pandemic where our, our prayer ministry was struggling, and Rex came in and helped rally people together and inspire people to, to pray. Um, you, you might not have noticed this, maybe you have, but when you came in this morning, there was a small group of people in the neighbor's hall praying, praying for you, praying for our services, and they've been doing this for a very long time now, and it's ever since Rex started coming, he was the one that rallied these people together. Um, Rex has also been uh, working with the men in our congregation, rallying the men together to come together for the gospel and discipleship. And God has been using him to bless many men in our church this way. And so we are grateful to Rex, and we're also grateful for this privilege to be able to, to come alongside him and give him this opportunity to explore preaching for the first time. We have the opportunity to encourage him. How? By number one, being an easy church to preach to, one that is kind, one that is humble, and one that is eager to listen and to even cheer him on. Some of the best pastors I know are where they're at today because God gave them gracious congregants to preach to. And so I want to encourage you to be that for Rex today. As a church, let's do that for our brother. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to invite our scripture reader to come up and Rex to come up to preach God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to not only hear your word preached, but to also encourage a young preacher. We want our brother to thrive and to experience the exhilaration that comes with bringing the good news of the gospel to your people. The book we open up, the Bible, is a sacred book. And the words contained therein are also sacred. And as Rex has faithfully studied these words and leaned on you to help him unpack these words for us today, we ask you would bless the preaching of your word by giving us what we really want, a personal experience of you. As our brother preaches the text, would you bring the lightning, bring the thunder, and bring the glowing sunshine of your son into our hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory and his fame. Amen. Amen. To help us with the reading of God's word, I'm going to invite Rachel to come on up. And then for our preaching, Rex, please. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Even then, the light in, in you is darkness. How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone, and happy new year to all. Kingsley, thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. Will you join me in prayer uh, before we start off this morning? Father God, we thank you that you have gathered us as your people. A new year. Lord, speak to us today. Let us hear from your word. We thank you that you give us your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This was a couple of years ago, and I was sitting in front of a hiring panel. My job interview just finished, and it was now my turn to ask questions of the hiring panel. And I could ask any question that I wanted. And I've been taught by a mentor to ask very insightful questions about the roles and responsibilities of the job, the company, and the work culture. So I look back at the hiring manager, and I ask this, what keeps you up at night? And this morning, I'm also asking you the same question, Grace Toronto. What keeps you awake at night? Because what is keeping you awake Tossing and turning in your bed is something that feels real. And what is real is confronting you, making you anxious, making you worried. And you are looking for assurances, a cure, a solution. And this morning we are taking to a passage from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 where Jesus is addressing a crowd like you and me, a crowd that is struggling with worldly issues. A crowd that is wondering what the future holds. An anxious crowd. And Jesus, with his words, lays out a cure. But this solution is not what we think it is. Jesus, in this passage, instead helps us see that there is a deeper-rooted cause to our anxiety 
And this morning, we're going to look at what that is. So we're going to explore these three points, which will also serve as our outline. Number one, what you see determines what you seek. Number two, what you seek determines what or whom you serve. Number three, whom you seek and serve should be God. What you see determines what you seek. We see from verse 19, Jesus starts off with an imperative to us, which is an authoritative command. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What are these treasures that Jesus speaks of? Matthew Henry, a Bible commentator and minister in the 17th century, defined it as this. A treasure is something the soul will have which it looks upon as the best thing and which it gives you complacency and confidence in above other things. Men and women, you know what these are. Your treasures are what you have set your heart on. They give you hope. They give you comfort. And this treasure is what we lay up for ourselves, or better translated as store up. In the original language, this is used and spoken of as a process of storing up that must be stopped. Jesus is telling us simply not to store up on it, not to have a covetous mindset of accumulating it. Why is he saying this? In giving this command, Jesus identifies a stark comparison between places. There is an eternal place where nothing is lost or diminished or destroyed, and there is the world we presently inhibit where things diminish and decline. And Jesus gives us a visible illustration. Look at rust. Our earthly treasures can rust. Things are lost or worse when we feel the most violated. Thieves break in and steal. This past year, our city and surrounding areas had an, unfortunately, an auto theft problem where people's vehicles would be taken from them in violent ways or from their driveways overnight. And as you can imagine how violent and how scary and violating that must have felt. To have your life threatened, to have your vehicle, which was supposed to be locked up and on that same spot, the next night, the next day, it's taken from you. And so when Jesus was giving this illustration back then, people had a similar mindset. They understood what Jesus was saying. They had possessions like you and I. They valued their silver, their gold. They did not want it to be stolen by thieves. And they would try to find places to hide it, either in their homes or at the temple. But despite all this, they would find that their precious, valuable measure, metals, despite it being hidden, would be subjected to corrosion. Or other things would be destroyed by mice or small animals, and that the clothes that they valued, the beautiful clothes that they had, would be destroyed by moths. Store up these things and you will be disappointed, which is very much the same world that we live in, isn't it? We live in a world of brokenness and decline. Our treasures break, they get lost, and they aren't what we hold them to be. This is our physical reality. 
But Jesus isn't only speaking to this, and that is not the only reason. He tells us that there is a spiritual reality. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, our hearts are the center of all our spiritual activity. It is the seat of our conscience. It is how we connect with God. And scripture records conversations about what our heart is. We read about it in the Old Testament. Our hearts are described as our center, our emotions, our will. And later on in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus is the one who tells us, how do we love God? With what? With all our heart, our soul, and our mind. And it is here that Jesus gives us the spiritual connection. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be. But then we come to verses 22 and 23. And Jesus talks about the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. I think the temptation when you first read it is that this part appears a bit disjointed, doesn't it, from the rest of the text. You're tempted to maybe gloss over it, don't think it's too significant because we don't quite understand what is Jesus saying here. And so this morning, we're gonna look a little bit into this. So the first part, the key, is focusing on the eye is the lamp. And if it helps you, underline it, highlight it, as this will help you better visualize what Jesus is illustrating for us. And I'm gonna try to break it down carefully so that this illustration is not lost. This is what Jesus is saying here. Imagine a functioning lamp. And what it does is it gives light to its surrounding environment. The eye is like a lamp. So the eye gives light to the body in the same way that the lamp lights up its environment. Now, if your eye lets in light, you will be able to see. This is a healthy eye. If your eye does not let in light, you can't see. Everything is dark. And this is a bad eye. I think I see some confused faces in the crowd here. So let's use an illustration. One that Pastor Tim Keller used in his Gospel and Life teaching on this passage. And I'm gonna use this room as an illustration. So as everyone can see, this whole room is flooded with light right now. And if the eye is healthy and you have a good eye, you can see this light because it lets in light. So therefore you can see. But if your eye is bad, it does not let in light, which means you can't see. So even if this whole room is flooded with light, which, is it, which it is right now, you still won't be able to see. So what Jesus is saying is this. You need to have a good eye, a healthy eye, so that you can see this spiritual reality. What Jesus is saying to us is that we don't see. We don't see that we are storing up treasures on earth rather than treasures of heaven. And what we really have is a case of a bad eye where we do not see the reality and beauty of God's heavenly kingdom. You can, see, you can say we've been blinded to this, or short-sighted, our heart is only focused in our treasure here and now. But what we really need is a good eye, don't we? 
where we see the world as God sees it, beautiful but broken and not worthy of our final hope. Yet there is a heavenly and kingdom reality in which all is made new and our hope and joy is on Christ alone. Do you see why this part is so important? Because it opens up our ability to see the passage before when Jesus is talking about our treasures and after when Jesus describes whom we serve. And when we fail to see how our material possessions come to fail us, we get caught up in our feelings of anxiety and worry, don't we? Because what our eye sees fills and shapes the whole of us. And this is Jesus' logic and this is gospel logic. What you see determines what you seek. And this leads us to our next point. What you seek determines what or whom you serve. Jesus then goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And I think with this statement, you might be thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me in our modern work culture. And if we apply our contemporary application to this, that's right, we miss the point. Because in our city-centric, multitasking world, some of us may hold multiple jobs. We have side gigs. We work in places that have different hierarchical layers. But Jesus is not talking about a modern-day employee-employer relationship. Jesus' example points to a well-established understanding in those days of an owner and a bondservant. And the arrangement was this. A servant provided full service and undivided loyalty to the owner. It was a lifelong relationship of servitude. But the servant would be under the protection and care of his master. So when viewed under this historical context, it would then be inconceivable for a bondservant to be in the service of two masters. And Jesus gives us the reasons for such. We either hate the one and love the other, or we will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But then Jesus goes further by saying that we cannot serve God and money. In the bulletin that is in your, in the passage that is in your bulletin this morning, in, in your Bibles, we see the word money. And some translations use the word wealth or mammon. And in the original language, the root of this word gives us the description that this is something in which it gives us confidence. And whether it is your money or wealth, this connection is clear. Jesus is talking about our materialism. And it is not just a warning, but he says it in the absolute form. Because what you seek becomes what or whom you serve. Money is personified here as one master, but if we think deeply, anything that we treasure can be our master. We see this evident in all of us. The thing we treasure becomes a thing we pursue, and after we have received it, we look to it and hold on to it, and we want more of it. And we find that it changes us. And eventually, it might control our thoughts, our actions, and our emotions. It is not our master but it becomes our taskmaster. Now I think we're getting closer to understanding why we're anxious people, don't we? And are we ready for the solution? Jesus then says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This passage has three therefores in your text, and if it helps, you can read it as for this reason. Jesus gives us the reasons proceeding before the therefore, and then he gives us the following conclusion. And this is what ties our passages together from verses 19 to now. Seek after the right master. Because Jesus tells us that there is a great master who provides. In fact, it's even better. He is our heavenly father. But what Jesus tells us can appear as a shock to our system. Because the words that he uses are not only in the absolute. He is not explaining or he describing. He is giving us a command. And we need to focus on this command. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. That is the command. And he could have stopped there, but then Jesus explains to us why this is, it, why this is the case by reminding us of God's complete providence over us, including the sanctity of human life. If the God of the universe who created us in his image was able to give us life, would he also not give us our basic needs? Jesus is giving us a how much more argument and challenging us to think, what is more difficult? Creating human life or providing daily and basic needs? If God can breathe life into humans, he can give us food, drink, and clothing. And he doesn't stop there. From verses 26 to 30, he tells us to look at God's creation and to look at other created things for our assurance. The birds, the lilies, the grass. And from looking at what Jesus is saying about the birds, he is now making an argument from the lesser to the greater. To demonstrate that if God feeds the birds, he will feed you and he will provide for you. The lilies of the field, well, do you recall how beautiful the flowers bloom in the spring? The grasses of the field, somehow, some way, every year they rebound after a long and harsh Canadian winter. There's another thing that we want to address this morning, is that it's not about being idle, though. I think there's a a pitfall that we can fall into. No, birds actively search for food. You and I know this because we see this in a lot of parks in Toronto. They're always onto us when we have a piece of bread or something. And both the lilies and the grass, again, we see it all around, they grow. And the same applies to us. Jesus is not advocating a lazy spirit, no or wishful thinking. He is simply reminding us of a creationist principle, trust in the providence of the creator. So choose carefully, because we cannot serve two masters. Our earthly master, that you and I both know, well acquainted with, or God, the sovereign master and heavenly father who provides. And this leads us to our final point. Whom you seek and serve should be God. So we get to the end in verse 31, and we see Jesus give us the same command again. Do not be anxious. 
And the questions that were asked in verse 25 are repeated, although rephrased. But this time, the reasons given for not worrying are different. Jesus tells us that the Gentiles, the world, seek after all these things. In fact, not only that, what is recorded in the Greek shows that Jesus uses a stronger emphasis on which he says how the world seeks after these things. He says they are running after them. What are the things that our world runs after? I think we all have those in our heads. But in contrast, we are to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Our desire should be to run after, to pursue, to be diligent and earnest about God's kingdom. This involves seeking the treasures of heaven, seeing the spiritual reality of heaven and serving the right master. The kingdom of God is to submit to the fact that God rules over your hearts and that this spiritual kingdom is about the saving grace of God. It is to see that this was the mission of Jesus to bring us this hope through his blood. And God is worth our seeking and serving because he has given us the best argument of all. An argument that comes from the greatest to the least. God who is sovereign and great, the creator of this universe decided that he wanted to restore our relationship with us and that there was only one way. God who saw us as a treasure, that was worth it. And so Jesus will later foreshadow himself in his own life and death. The ultimate proof of how the God of heavens and earth will clothe us. He will clothe us with the righteousness of his son. He will feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The Jesus who promised us God's love, he sealed that promise by going to the cross to pay for our sins. Our doubt, our debt, which we cannot pay. He granted us access to that eternal kingdom life that he is teaching about. And so this morning, if you're on a journey of faith and have yet to come to know the loving Savior, know that there is a God who cares for you. He desires to have a relationship with you so much that Christ gave himself up for you. Jesus not only frees you from your anxiety and worry, he saves us from our sins. And the crowds who were looking like you and I for the cure for anxiety, yet Jesus gave them more, a cure for their souls. Application. So this morning, how do we apply this passage to our anxious selves? Number one, we put our trust in God. Trust in God and look at the examples that Jesus gives us. I know, it might be difficult to see it in our Toronto winters, but sometimes we do see evidence of it, don't we? Like a warmer weather this past week. And actually, as I was preparing this, God kind of showed me something kind of interesting. And one day, this past Wednesday, I was standing outside, I was looking across the street, and I saw birds. And I thought to myself, oh, I saw seeing birds in December. But you know what they were doing? They were happy. They were chirping away. And to me, they sounded happy and content. Here I was, standing outside, pumping gas, and it was cold, but they were happy. And so let this be a reminder to us of a gracious and providential God 
by simply looking at his creation. Our anxiety and our worry can turn into a sin if we're not careful because the root of it is not trusting in God. And as we saw, as we read, Jesus forbids it. He commands us not to do it. We need to be careful and mindful of this. Number two, worry about the now. We've become a culture, haven't we, that is so obsessed with planning. We forecast for the future. We want to know what happens next, the next quarter for our markets, our work, our relationships, our children. We stress and we get anxious. But Jesus gives us a simple application here. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. It seems rather simple, doesn't it? Is this an I don't care attitude that we should have? A bit laissez-faire? No. Jesus isn't saying we need to put our head in the sand either. Other passages in the Bible tell us to be wise, to be prudent, plan, yes. But what Jesus is reminding us to focus on his grace daily and trust that he will give us what we need when we need it tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. Three, seek him first. Rather than putting our hope in our treasures and not serving them and not putting on a worldly mindset, consider what seeking God's kingdom first means for you. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul urges us, he exhorts us, he says, present your bodies in a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be set apart to be a church that is different from the culture, from the world. We are to love, we are to serve, we are to use our resources in ways to benefit God's people, to be his hands and feet, to be salt and light in this world. Let us remember that. A few years ago, I was driving behind a car um, that had a bumper sticker that said this, He who dies with the most toys wins. And I thought to myself, I really wish that was true. I got a lot of toys I want to take with me. But the reality we all know is that everything we have accumulated in this life cannot be taken with us to where we are going. There's no U-Haul carrying a person's belongings behind a funeral procession, no. No, we leave our earthly treasures behind. The kingdom treasures, those things that God tells us to seek after, they will be waiting for us along with Jesus in his radiant glory to receive us and we get to be with him forever. Grace Toronto, this new year, let us be a church that isn't anxious, isn't worried. Because once we seek God first, He, he alone will care for us. Let's pray. Father God, we 
our anxious culture. We are anxious people. And we thank you for your word that you give us comfort, that it is you alone that satisfies. And so, Lord, this morning as we receive your word, help us to apply it, help us to reflect on it, help us to see your character, your provision, and let us be people resolved to not be anxious and to look to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.